It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. We are now, I said last week we were 16 days away from kickoff. I wasn't really paying attention. I am now. We are now 16 days from kickoff. So we are wrapping up our season opponent previews this week. Next week we'll be wrapping up fall camp and then all of a sudden, we're upon the season opener. Uh, Mitchell Forty is actually over at practice, finishing up interviews today from Mizzou Fall Camp. So just me, uh, Gabe DeArmond, today. We are going to preview Arkansas and Tennessee. We're starting with the Razorbacks and down in Fayetteville, Andrew Hutchinson, who covers Arkansas football for our Arkansas site, hogbeat.com, and has covered Arkansas for every media outlet under the sun for, what, close to 20 years, Andrew? <laughs> I don't know about that. It's been more about like, I think this is my sixth season covering okay. the Razorbacks, I think. So okay. it's, uh, it, it feels like a long time. Yeah. It, it, six gets to feel like 20 real quick. I'm on 16. And, uh, and if you told me it was 30, I would believe you. So <laughs> I feel you. All right. So, uh, Andrew taking a, a quick break from Arkansas fall camp. We're all kind of in the same boat at this point in time, just running back and forth to the practice field. So, I mean, year one, Chad Morris, uh, optimism at this point is where in Fayetteville? I think there's a lot of optimism like from the fan base just because, you know, it's a new coach, different than Brett Bielema. You know, a lot of uh, the approval ratings for Bielema down the stretch last year were just really, really low. And so I think fans were just looking for anything different. And then you throw in the fact that, you know, Morris has had a lot of success on the recruiting trail. Uh, obviously, that's not going to help them this year. Uh, but it definitely does good. It does wonders for building him some goodwill with the fan base. And then, you know, throw on top of that, that Chad Morris is just naturally an optimistic person that's really upbeat, brings a lot of energy. And I think there's a lot of lot of optimism. Uh, now, I think some of it may be misguided optimism, uh, thinking that they're going to win eight, nine, ten games. That's that's a little much, considering it is still a 4-8 and eight team that is completely going over an, uh, an identity shift, both on offense and defense. And uh, but I do think that there's optimism, and I think uh, you know there is there is hope. Though the schedule sets up nicely to to maybe make a run for a bowl game. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into some of those things in a minute. But before we get into that again, even though you've only been with rivals a few months, you have covered Arkansas for a while. The, the first thing I wanted to ask you was was that whole Gus Malzahn thing ever really a possibility in the off season, or was that kind of wishful thinking and and they moved on to to more realistic thought pretty quickly? I mean, it just depends on who you ask. I mean, about half the people say it, it, it actually was a real thing, that there was some interest. But then the other half, and this is kind of the camp I fall in, think that maybe Gus was using Arkansas to get a nice pay raise, which he Wait, did. Coaches don't uh, do that. Come on. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think he was just doing that. Um, but then they quickly moved on. And I think that uh, I think that even Chad, or that Gus made the recommendation for Chad because they go back. I mean, uh, Chad came to Springdale High School when Gus Malzahn was still there and, and picked up, you know, on the, the hurry up, no huddle uh, type of schemes that he runs and, and really uh, their families are really close now. And so I think he maybe put a good word in for him at Arkansas uh, when he told Arkansas, you know, no thanks. Uh, so it, I think it really was a, a ploy for Malzahn to get a pay raise, but I think it worked out for Arkansas because uh, they, they got a, I think, in my opinion, a pretty good hire in Chad yeah. Morris. 
Yeah, I haven't been hugely popular with Missouri fans because, honestly, outside of what Florida did with Dan Mullen, and realistically, Arkansas is not making that kind of hire, I thought Arkansas might have made the best hire in the SEC this offseason. Chad Morris has been a hot name for five years. He was going to be somewhere big time, matter of time. But you kind of touched on my biggest short-term concern with Chad Morris, and it would be hard to find two coaches more diametrically opposite in how they approach things, especially offensively, than Brett Bielema and Chad Morris. So, I mean, is he going to have to adjust what he does a little bit these first couple years, or is he going to come in and say, this is what we do, and we're going to make the guys here fit it as best we can? I mean, I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to install his offense, and they're going to try to run uh, what he wants to run and go as fast as he wants to go, which is really, really fast. Um, now they're going to adapt it some. I mean, like, you know, Arkansas, the personnel Arkansas has right now, they have a bunch of really good, talented tight ends, and I think they're going to find a way to use them, and that's something they didn't have at SMU. They adapted and, and went with what they had. Uh, dating back to his time at Clemson, you know, that was where they had a bunch of, 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 they had a bunch of good tight ends and obviously a ton of really good receivers. Uh, and so he's, he's really good. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to his, his high school, his days as a high school coach where – you don't really know what you're going to get year to year at the high school level, so you have to you know, run the same offense but make minor tweaks and changes based on the personnel you have. And that's, I think, what we're seeing right now. There's obviously going to be growing pains that being the first year, and as you said, such a, a huge shift uh, in, in philosophy. Uh, but I think that he's, he's going to try to you know, build for the future this year. Hey, now, the, the main question, I mean, Missouri saw how capable that Arkansas offense was even at the end of last year when things weren't going well in, in that season finale. But the big question now is who's running the show? And do you guys have much of an idea who's taken over at quarterback yet, or is that an open question? It is truly an open question. I mean, it's it's either going to be Cole Kelly, the guy that, that started four games last year uh, for him, or it could be Ty Story, kind of a career backup who only has four career passes. Uh, but he's kind of more of the cerebral kind of guy that he he's picked up the playbook quicker. Uh, he's not going to do anything, you know, crazy stupid that gets you in trouble. Whereas Cole Kelly is more of the gunslinger mentality. He's got a, a cannon for an arm and, you know, he's, he's a guy that can, he's going to make you some plays and do some great things, but then he's also going to make some mistakes that just make you scratch your head and go, why, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the, 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 spot they're in right now in determining which guy is going to get the to be the number one guy and honestly in my opinion I think this battle is going to go into the season you know Arkansas opens up with Eastern Illinois and FCS team it would not surprise me if they split uh, the reps in that game and kind of let that more determine who it is going forward into week two at Colorado State which is more of a more challenging game as you'd probably like to have a a one quarterback ready to go for it so I think it's it's going to be it's going to be a while uh, before they, they make the final determination for the starting quarterback. Talking with Andrew Hutchinson from hogbeat.com, and we'll get to that schedule in just a minute, and and I do think that might be the biggest reason for optimism in Fayetteville, but you said something that that might, if I was an Arkansas fan, set off some alarm bells because I watched a, a, an offense that just went as fast as it possibly could for two years here in Columbia under Josh Heupel, and while it put up crazy numbers and a lot of flashy stats, it absolutely killed Missouri's defense. So it, can you compare kind of what Chad Morris wants to do tempo-wise to, to what Missouri's done, and is that a concern for the Arkansas defense that, hey, we might be pretty good and still give up 35 points a game? 
Yeah, I think they're wanting to go, I mean, just as fast as any offense you've ever seen. I mean, that's that's all Morris has preached. I mean, since his introductory press conferences, he wants to, you know, get in the left lane, pop the clutch, and throw the hammer down. And, and that's, that's something he is, he is stuck with and says on a daily basis. Uh, so I think they're going to want to go as fast as they possibly can. And, of course, that is going to lead to some struggles on defense, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Arkansas's first unit on defense is very, very good. I think it's you know near the – you know at least in the upper half of the SEC. Uh, I really like what they have across the board as starters. I'm just not sold on the depth, and that's going to be the huge key uh, on the defensive side. You know, they brought in John Chavis, a really respected uh, defensive coordinator in the SEC, been around forever. And uh, he, he seems to be, you know, saying how the, the linebackers, you know, Arkansas has two really good linebackers, Dre Greenlaw and, and Scooter Harris. Both of those guys are all SEC caliber kind of guys, but they played like 90% of the snaps last year. And if they do that this year, then they're, they're going to be terrible by the end of games because they're just not going to have any energy left. And so they're trying to develop that depth behind them. And uh, I just, I'm not sure if it's there yet. Uh, so it's going to be, I think they could be a decent defense. And as you said, give up 35 points a game. I mean, I think they're not going to give up that many just because, you know, last year they gave up something like that. And it was the worst defense in the history of Arkansas football in terms of points allowed and also yards allowed. And I think they're going to be improved from that, but it may not show up on paper as much because as you said, the offense is going so fast leading to more possessions. You're going to tire down faster and, and, I mean, Missouri fans saw it happen, yeah. and I think Arkansas fans are going to see it happen in Fayetteville. Yeah, and, and my take on that system is, like, don't get me wrong, Josh Heupel did a good job here. I think that system can get you seven, eight, maybe even nine wins. I'm not sure that system can win the SEC because it, it, you've got enough offenses that are efficient enough that if you keep giving them chances, like, they're going to score. Um, and that's what happened to Missouri last year. I mean, they just, they'd get out there three and out 32 seconds and put a defense out there that had been out there for, for nine plays. And, and you just can't have the lowest time of possession in America and, you know, win big in this league, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to the depth. I mean, you can probably have the depth you need to do it at, say, maybe in Auburn, uh, but you're right. probably not going to be able to recruit at that level at a place like Arkansas or Missouri. Now they're changing that. Now what Arkansas has done in, in recruiting on defense uh, for the 2019 class is unbelievable. Uh, they've got several four-star guys and high three-star guys, and but it's going to take some time before those guys come up and are able to you know, build that depth behind them. Right now they're still stuck in the – you know, what they have left over from the previous regime. And, and I'm just not sure it's enough to, as you said, you know, be a contender for the division title. Yeah. Uh, they could, you know, potentially win seven, eight, nine games, you know, in, in a few years, but it may be a little bit before they have the necessary depth, if ever, to, you know, truly compete for a, a conference title. So I'm looking at their schedule. I mean, you mentioned Eastern Illinois. That should be a win. At Colorado State, I, I mean – it should be a win, but you never know. North Texas comes to Fayetteville. I mean, this team can easy start 3-0. and Mississippi visits Arkansas. Tulsa visits Arkansas. Vandy visits Arkansas. LSU, I think, has, the, has train wreck potential this year. They visit Arkansas. I mean, am I an idiot to think that if things go well for Chad Morris, this team could, like, be sitting 7-3 and when they finish on the road at Mississippi State and Missouri? It's possible. I mean, my... My personal predictions have them sitting at six and three at that point, uh, going into that final three-game stretch against LSU, Mississippi State, Missouri. Uh, and I mean, I still think Arkansas is a six-win team, 
but the schedule, I mean, as you said, sets up nicely. The Colorado State game's kind of tricky. You never know right. uh, what that's going to be like. You know, got to deal with the altitude that's different. Uh, you're going at a high pace, fast, fast, fast. I'm interested to see how they are going to prepare for that. Um, plus, I mean, I do feel better about it, though, than if it was last year. I mean, last year they had Nick Stevens at quarterback and Michael Gallup at, at receiver, and those guys are now moved on. Uh, and I, I just think that if they played last year, I would definitely pick Colorado State to win that game. But now, you know, on paper, Arkansas is a more talented team. You're playing on the road, though. Your first true test after playing Eastern Illinois, I'm not so sure. North Texas is tricky. You know, they've got a really good offense. Uh, but you know, still a game they should win. You mentioned Vanderbilt. You know, getting uh, being the, the rotating team from the East, uh, Ole Miss at home, uh, and, and LSU at home. I mean, those are in Texas A&M being in Arlington. That's a game Arkansas probably should have won the last you know five years, but mm-hmm. choked it away in the second half or fourth quarter or overtime. Uh, and so uh, it it the schedule sets up nicely to where they should make a run at a bowl game. Uh, in year one, but I think a lot of it hinges on that week two game at Colorado State. Couple uh, just off the beaten path questions for you to finish up. First one is purely selfish. Uh, Columbia kid down there, Hayden Johnson, plays fullback. He's he was a high school teammate of my kid. Is is there a place for a fullback in this offense? Not a true fullback in the sense that he was used in the Brett Bielema offense. Uh, he's probably more of kind of a, a tight end H back kind of guy. Uh, now, uh, he's been running, he's been in the tight ends room now. Uh, he's kind of the same mold as an Austin Cantrell, another tight end Arkansas has that he's bigger. He's not a tight end. That's going to beat you down the seam, right. but he may be a guy that can, is going to open up holes in the run game and also maybe catch a few passes out in the flats or things like that. I mean, I, I like him. I think he's a talented kid. Uh, it's just going to be really tough for him to get on the field, I think, because there is an Austin Cantrell in front of him. Uh, but, you know, he's you know one injury away from, from potentially getting in there on like some 12 personnel type of packages. And then always got to finish up anytime we talk Arkansas with, uh, with Mike Anderson. What, what kind of teams Mike got coming back this year? Uh, I, I know yeah, it helps very, to have Daniel Gafford. Yeah, he has a very, very, very young team coming in. I think there's seven, eight, nine newcomers, something like that, something crazy, because you lose you know, the, the guards and, and Daryl Macon and Jalen Barford. That's huge. Obviously, you do get Daniel Gafford back, which is, is huge. No one really expected to, to get him back, considering he was a projected first-round pick. Uh, but you know, he, he gives you at least a star. Now, how they put the pieces around him together, we'll see. They've got a transfer point guard from uh, New Mexico that set out last year that is supposedly really, really good and, and looking well in, in these summer practices and workouts. Uh, and then a lot of, you know, freshmen. I mean, you, it's it's kind of scary. I mean, anywhere other than maybe Kentucky or Duke or something, you're, you're freshmen, you just never know what you're going to get out of them. And uh, so it's, it's really hard to say uh, what they're going to be like this year. I mean, fans are, are anxious for them to not just make it to the tournament, but maybe make a run to the Sweet 16, something Arkansas hasn't done since uh, – I believe 1996. Wow. And so it's, it's, it's been a while and they're, they're getting antsy and, and hoping that they can do it. Uh, I'm just not so sure. It just depends on these young guys. If they come in and are, you know, superstars, then, then they have a chance, but otherwise it's, it's going to be a challenge. And if they make it just to the tournament this year, I think would be a, a huge accomplishment. 
Yeah, you know, everybody likes to do these lists like top games in every league, all that. I, I'll say this. I wouldn't pay money to see a lot of SEC basketball. I might pay money for those two times Daniel Gafford and, and uh, Jonte Porter face off this year. I, I think that has a chance to be a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait. I, I was I, Whenever he decided he was coming back as well, I was like, man, that's going to be a, a big-time matchup, both you know, in Fayetteville and Columbia. That's, that's, one, that's a road trip that I typically make to, to cover the game. So uh, definitely this year to, to see those two – you know, future NBA guys uh, squaring off head to head. All right, Andrew, appreciate your time, man. We'll definitely be uh, catching up with you down the road. It's uh, I think we got a little while before Arkansas and Missouri meet up, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anytime, anytime you want to talk Arkansas, give me a shout. All right, have a good one, Andrew Hutchinson. Hogbeat.com covers the Razorbacks for uh, the Rivals.com network and has done so for a number of years for a number of different outlets. Arkansas is interesting. Like I, I just. My instant reaction was Arkansas's last in the West. They're they're not very good. And then I looked at their schedule, and I'm telling you guys, let's just run through this real quick. Home against Eastern Illinois, that's a win. At Colorado State, should be a win. Home against North Texas, should be a win. At Auburn's a loss. Home against A&M, or in, in Arlington against A&M, probably a loss, but you never know. Uh, Alabama's in Fayetteville, that's a loss. So they're probably 3-3, three and three, but then they get Ole Miss at home. Tulsa at home, Vandy at home between October 13th and October 27th. That's when Arkansas season is either made or broken. Um, I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. Those three games are going to determine whether this team is that team is in a bowl game when it comes to Columbia, whether it's playing for a bowl game when it comes to Columbia, or whether it's playing for absolutely nothing. Uh, so I think Arkansas actually is a team that that maybe I don't know what the over-under on the win total is, but I might take the over just looking at their schedule because I think that's a team that's got a chance to go to a bowl game. And I'll be at a very minor bowl game and, and, you know, probably not a great season, but you can go two and six in the SEC and make a bowl game. And and I think Arkansas will have every opportunity to do that, playing Eastern Illinois, Colorado State, North Texas, and Tulsa in the non-conference season. Uh, a couple quick notes before we do our Tennessee preview. If you uh, didn't see this morning, Rashad Floyd has broken a non-weight-bearing bone in his lower right leg. I am not an anatomy major. I want to say that's the tibia, but I could be completely wrong, and it could be the fibula. It's probably one of the two. Anyway, he's out four to six weeks. That means Missouri needs a backup receiver and a punt returner. Barry Odom said this morning that He's looking at a bunch of guys. Jonathan Johnson is a punt returner. He did it some last year. Some freshmen, Tyrone Collins, Dominic Jacinto, Jalen Knox, those guys are in the mix. So to be determined, optimistically, Floyd would be back for the Purdue game. Pessimistically, probably for the Georgia game uh, or or maybe even after that bye week against uh, South Carolina and Alabama. That's really the big news out of camp. Third-string tight end Logan Christofferson had a concussion. Missouri already lost the tight end to uh, a torn ACL and Messiah Swenson. So Brennan Scales stepping up right now. Uh, I would assume Christofferson is probably back in the next week or so, but you never know. Concussions are, uh, you know, they're a uh, they're a touch-and-go deal. Every guy deals with them differently. So that's the big news out of camp today. Uh, Missouri will have its second scrimmage on Saturday. We will not get to see it, but we will get a better idea. Next Monday, we'll be able to start asking, okay, which freshmen are playing? What's the what's the depth look like here? And we'll have a much better idea by the time we do the podcast next week and probably what we'll do. Mitch and I will probably just kind of run through position by position and too deep and all that. 
uh, on the podcast next week. We now turn our attention for the final uh, opponent preview of the season. I realize I did these in reverse order today, but I'm lazy and I'm not going to go back and edit it. So Arkansas was first. Tennessee is last, even though Tennessee is game number 11 and Arkansas is game number 12. But we're talking to Blake Topmeyer from the Knoxville News Sentinel. Fresh out of practice, I'm sure, getting all the insight from uh, Vols coach Jeremy Pruitt. Absolutely, yeah. I mean... You know, you, you get all the goods here at Tennessee. It's uh, no, you don't get hardly anything. Like I know, uh, it's much the case across the SEC. And when you have a former Saban lieutenant, you get probably even less than normal. Yeah, it, that really is true. And I, I think the most um, frustrating part at times from a media perspective is not getting coordinators. You know, I, I can understand wanting to kind of handpick what players they give you. Maybe you don't want to roll out just anybody and, and let whoever talk, you know, from a player perspective. But I would think that if you, you know, if you trust a coordinator enough to run your offense and to pay him seven figures, um, that they could talk to the media for 10 minutes a week. But uh, <laughs> saving assistant, or, you know, the saving clones disagree with me on maybe, that. Maybe you guys shouldn't be so mean, Blake, you know. Um, That's right, yeah. So, okay, I know the the – Instant answer to this question is he's not Butch Jones, so everybody loves him. But where is the optimism level in Knoxville a few months into the Pruitt era? Optimism, very high. Expectations for this season, I would say, are fairly realistic. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's expecting Pruitt to come in and change the world in year one. But I, But I will say that, yeah, just support for Pruitt has kind of been sort of off the charts. I mean, anything he does is just widely hailed as a genius move. And, yeah. you know, I mean, really at this point, until he's coached a game, I mean, we don't we don't really know what kind of coach he really is. But, you know, when you're coming off of someone who was, I think, as disliked as much as Butch Jones was, at least at the end of his tenure, I don't think mm-hmm. it was always that way at Knoxville, but at, at the end of his tenure was – uh, pretty widely ready. To, everybody was ready to show him the door, I think. And and coming off a four and eight season, yeah. I mean, I think it, it was always setting the stage for optimism. And and then the fact that Philip Fulmer made the hire as a, as opposed to John Curry, I think that helped ratchet up the optimism even even more for Pruitt. Because I what I think is interesting is if John Curry makes this hire when he announces when, when they're getting ready to announce Greg Schiano, if they announce Jeremy Pruitt then. I think the overall reaction would have been like, really? They got that? That's who they hired? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, a week plus later, when Fulmer makes the hire and after the coaching search had kind of gone off the rails, everybody, it seemed like, was like, oh, yeah, great hire. This is awesome. Let's talk about that because that was the most unproductive week of my life because I just sat and refreshed Twitter for, oh, my God, what's going to happen in the Tennessee coaching search now? So, like, being involved in it, how nuts was it? It it was yeah like a, a circus that someone just took the the new center ring every day yeah uh, you know there there after the Shiano thing unraveled it it really just became you know someone takes a a day in the spotlight each each day and then they turn down the vols and it's like okay who, who do they turn to next and then they turn down the vols and and really I think when when you go back and and I look at all the documents that, that we obtained in the spring that really kind of spelled out the coaching search. To me, I don't know that John Curley, John Curry approached it maybe as poorly as it looked like in the moment because when you look at the documents um, and you kind of piece it all together, I think he his, his prime target was Dan Mullen, as it probably should have been. 
And I think he thought there was a chance he was going to get Dan Mullen and maybe would have got Dan, Dan Mullen. We'll never know um, if Chip Kelly winds up in, in Florida instead of UCLA. But Chip Kelly winds up in, in UCLA, and so Florida gets Dan Mullen. And I think all along, Curry planned on Shiano being his fallback option. I mean, they were already in conversations um, before Mullen decided on Florida. And I think all along he thought, Shiano is not going to turn this down. He he wants the job. That's the fallback option if if Mullen says no, which he did. But the 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 fly in the ointment that was that was never accounted for was obviously the backlash to the Shiano hire and that unraveling. And then there was really no backup plan once once that happened. And I think it was kind of helter skelter mode from there. Yeah, calling that uh, backlash is like calling the Hindenburg, you know, a fender bender. Uh, well, amazing. yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we just just talked to Arkansas, and like my initial impression of Arkansas is, hey, they're not going to be any good. And then I look at their schedule, and I'm going, hey, that's a team that can win seven games pretty easily. So my initial impression of Tennessee is, hey, they're not going to be very good. And then I look at their schedule, and I say, oh my God, this team could enter November with two wins. I mean. Yeah, West Virginia to start, then they'll beat East Tennessee State and UTEP, but then their first five SEC games, Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, and South Carolina. Like, anything better than 0-5 in those five games is like a victory for Jeremy Pruitt. I think so, and I think they need to beat Florida. I mean, to me, that's the one, you know, you get them at home. Mullen might have that thing humming by the end of the season, but still you get them early in the year. Maybe they're still working things out there and, and, you know, maybe they don't totally have the quarterback thing solved at Florida at that point in the year. And, and, you know, that was a game last year, obviously two programs that were not very good last season, but that was a game. And you know, as everybody probably remembers, just decided on the final play mm-hmm. with uh, Florida completing that, that long pass. So really two programs that weren't very far apart last season. And, so that's the game with it being in Knoxville that I think, okay, maybe, maybe they can get that one. But if they don't, you're right. I think they are staring at the strong possibility of a five-game losing streak because I just don't see um, any realistic chance of beating Georgia, Alabama, or Auburn. And then South Carolina on the road? I mean, yeah. That's a good team. That's, that's, a, that's a sneaky yeah. team that I think people underrate because of the name and because they don't win pretty. I agree. I, I, I mean, not that my preseason media ballot's probably <laughs> worth anything, but uh, for, for the little that it is worth, I, I put South Carolina too yeah. in the East. Um, yeah, because I, I, I do think you're right. I mean, the names so people think, oh, okay, that's a win. But when you start looking at what they brought back and what they did last year, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably a, a, a loss. And so then, you know, they got four games at the back end where um, – are a little more winnable. I mean, I, I, I would favor Missouri in the Missouri-Tennessee matchup at this point, especially, um, you know, given what Missouri did assuming to Assuming Drew Locke season. is I, upright, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Assuming Drew Locke is upright, I would favor that. But 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 I think Tennessee has a chance and, and you know, has a chance in, in the back end there against uh, Kentucky and Vanderbilt as well. But it's just like, what are you going to have at that point? You know, I mean, are, are you just going to be a beaten-down team that's kind of thrown it in for the season or, or can if this team does start two and six which i think is is realistic to happen i mean could pruitt rally the troops at that point and and you know maybe rattle off some wins at the end and uh yeah i've, I've covered a team that starts that way um i guess now i have to say it's possible to come back after that start but i wouldn't recommend it being the uh the approach going into the season i think it's unlikely 
Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, even if they can just get one out of the five, yeah. uh, I mean, anything beyond that, I think, would just, I mean, throw them a parade. But yeah. if they could get one out of the five in that brutal stretch there, then, uh, you, you know, you're sitting in a better shape because then you don't have to win all four at the end to make a bowl. You get three out of four and you're you're there. But um, otherwise, yeah, if they're sitting there at two and six, I think it would be a challenge to rally the troops. And, there, and there's no margin for there then if, if the goal is a bowl game. And, and I think that's what it should be in year one for Pruitt. And I, I think most people with realistic expectations, that that's what the goal is, get, get to a bowl in year one, which is – with this schedule, easier said than done. And realistic expectations and Tennessee fans do go uh, together like peanut butter and jelly, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but, like, personnel-wise, what does Pruitt lean on with this team? I, I mean, it's been such a revolving door in Knoxville, and frankly, that was a team that I looked at last year, and I, I didn't say, hey, they're a few players away. They're Like, they're a lot of players away. So what does he lean on? Where are the strengths of this team? I think the linebacking core could be pretty good. They get Darren Kirkland back, who, you know, in 2015, when he was a freshman, looked really good, was, you know, all freshman SEC. And then he had two years that were just derailed by injuries. So you don't know for sure whether you're getting the 2015 Darren Kirkland back, but I think that's the hope. And, and you know, he's looked – he's held up, I, I think, pretty decent so far – They've tried to be careful with him throughout camp, but, you know, it seems like he's progressed as well as you could hope. And, and uh, you know, they bring back their leading tackler and Daniel Batuli, another linebacker. So overall, I think that linebacking core could be decent. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth on the defensive line, though, and they're breaking in a couple new starting cornerbacks. So you got to wonder how that's going to go. And then offensively, they were just a mess last season. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to be better on offense, but they can't really be any worse. And to me, the key to improvement on offense is the offensive line because it really didn't matter what they had. You really almost didn't even know what they had at the skill positions last year because the line was so bad and so banged up that it was just hard to tell. I mean, late in the season, there wasn't much room to work with for the running backs. The quarterbacks were under constant duress. And I feel like the line's going to be better this season. How much better, I don't know. But I think they're probably going to move Trey Smith to tackle. And, and Trey Smith's a, a future NFL player, and I think that'll help solidify the line. He was mostly at guard last season. Um, so overall, strengths, Trey Smith, possibly linebackers. Beyond that, uh, I'm probably more in wait-and-see mode. Yeah. Uh, a few more minutes with Blake Topmeyer from the Knoxville News Sentinel. And, the question when you hire a coordinator is, okay, what's he going to do on the other side of the ball? So what's Jeremy Pruitt going to look like offensively? Well, he's going to do kind of the Barry Odom thing of just handing the keys of the offense over to the coordinator. And it's like, that's your baby. Mm -hmm. um, and probably not really have much to do with it. But so what that's going to look like under Tyson Helton, uh, who will be running the offense, is, is more of a pro-style system. You know, under Butch Jones, you really never saw the quarterback go under center. And you're going to see that, I think, a decent amount this season. Uh, you'll even see some I-formation stuff, which is like, wait a second, I thought the I-formation had been like done and retired. <laughs> um, but I think you're going is to that see still legal? Yeah. yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of like huddling. Wait, wait, what, did, did they not outlaw huddling? People can actually <laughs> do that now? Um, so you're going to see some I-formation stuff. You're going to see some single back quarterback under center. Um, but you'll, you'll still see some shotgun too. But it's going to be – much less like the the Josh Dobbs read option um, type offense that you saw under Butch Jones. They might still do a little bit of that, but for the most part, 
This is going to be a, a pro-style system that's multiple formations. And I think what they want to be is kind of a power run team that takes some shots deep um, with, with their quarterbacks. You know, power run, play action shots deep, that type of thing. Now, to do that, you obviously have to have an offensive line that's way better than what Tennessee rolled out there last year. But long term and, and even in the short term this year, I think that's the hope is that they can establish the ground game and then kind of play off of off of that. Uh, just finish up and look like any Tennessee fans that are listening to this, they I can't piss them off more. They they already don't like me um, because they they kind of know know what I think. But the biggest concern for me for any coach taking over that program and I I personally think it's probably a reason so many turned it down is a, a lot of people don't know last year was the first time Tennessee ever went 0-8 in the SEC like it is a proud it is a top 10 all-time college football program but I don't think fans understand that it just isn't 2001 anymore and when you insist on playing Alabama every year when Georgia's doing what it's doing under Kirby Smart 10-2 and two is not your birthright in Knoxville. Um, and so I know there's going to be some patience with Pruitt, but, like, if he's sitting here 8-4, and 9-3, and three, three years down the road, you know, are Tennessee fans ever going to be okay with that? I don't know that they'll be okay with 8-4, with, 9-4, uh, and, four, nine and four, uh, 4 or 5 years into the tenure. I, I think year three maybe, but, but, yeah, I mean, I think long-term their expectations will still be contending for SEC championships and and for the last 10 years uh 10 well more than more than 10 years but the 10 plus um you know this program just hasn't been at that level um in some ways though I would say Pruitt steps into about as good a situation as, as he could in that they are coming off of a, a, a really bad season they're coming off of a chaotic coaching search and so, if anything, it's like, well, if anyone has, ever has a chance to kind of enter with some realistic expectations, this guy's got as good as he's going to hope for in, in this market. Um, I do think, though, the, the patience will probably be thin, as, as it usually is. And, and so, he'll need to show some progress in year one and then, and then take it up from there. I mean, you know, Butch Jones had back-to-back nine-win seasons, and I would say – I mean, look, he should have been fired after last season. Last season was, was a disaster. You get, you get fired after seasons right. like that. But even coming into the season, after back-to-back nine-win seasons, I would say he was maybe not on the piping hot seat, but it was getting it was kind of warm even coming into the season. And, and that was a guy coming off back-to-back nine-win years. And, 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 yeah, fair or unfair, that's just, that's just kind of the way it goes around here, I think. Last thing, speaking of hot, how hot were the takes in Knoxville when Missouri announced its next offensive coordinator was Derek Dooley? (laughs) I think pretty hot, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's going to be fun when he goes back there, man. It is, and I've had fun just kind of following Dooley from afar because it sounds like the guy just, I mean, he's just filling up notebooks. He's entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, for as much as coaches are boring anymore, like he seems like he's one that's not. I loved his... uh, stump speech on the offensive line the other mm-hmm. day i mean i know it was a motivational ploy but but it was an effective one i thought and and true you know i mean missouri as good as their line has been fair or unfair has not had all conference line but i think part of that's because missouri's the name on the chest and not because they you know paul adams should be an all-conference line i think but, part of it is uh, the scheme makes them look better than they are too 
That's true too. That's true. Um, but I do think Paul Adams is, is legit all conference, but anyway, I, um, but yeah, I think the Dooley storyline is, is pretty fun. And, and I'm really curious to see what he can do because, uh, you know, I mean, offense wasn't necessarily the problem during his tenure at, uh, at Tennessee. Now you could say, was that him? Was it the coordinator? You know, I don't know. You could also say like, well, his, he was probably about ready to get run out in Dallas. Yeah. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to be a good college coordinator. You know, I mean, sometimes these things are just – you don't know what the right role is for someone sometimes until they've found it. Um, and so I'm really curious to see how this, this goes. I mean, honestly, my first reaction was, wait, they, they hired Derek Dooley? Um, also but, my first reaction, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm If nothing else, I'm – I'm interested to see how it how it goes. I mean, it was one of the more interesting hires of the offseason. I, I got to say that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there will be many things written that week before Tennessee and Missouri play. Uh, we'll see if Derek Dooley is available for interviews that week. So, yeah, I I, I would love to talk to him. I, I doubt that I'll be able to, but uh, uh, I, I'll be curious to see uh, what he's saying to you guys that that week. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's a dull moment with him, and uh, he's certainly the. Tennessee questions are going to be coming at him from all angles if he if he's uh, made available to the media that week. No question. Well, Blake, appreciate it, man. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you down the road. Sounds good. Blake Topmeyer, formerly of the Columbia Daily Tribune, he covered Mizzou for a couple years now. Is in Knoxville covering the uh, Vols for the Knoxville News Sentinel. So definitely appreciate him stopping by. Appreciate Andrew Hutchinson from Fayetteville taking a few minutes to talk with us. And that's it over the past I don't know. Nine weeks or so, we have done 11 opponent previews, and next week, fall camp will be officially closed by the time we do this podcast. Uh, the following week, we will be within 48 hours of a, an actual football game. So uh, we've almost made it, guys. Appreciate you listening all summer, and it is going to be a whole lot of football talk. Mitchell will be back next week, and uh, we'll be right here on the PowerMizzou.com podcast.